Yeah, for me, it's a once in a lifetime experience and like the epitome, I would say, of my running career. But for them, I want them to walk away from it and just, you know, see me as a good role model, hopefully inspiration to them as well. I just want them to walk away from it seeing, you know, you saw mommy leave the house and get those workouts in each day. So seeing how hard work pays off and that it doesn't always take a year. It can take longer, but if it's something you want and it's something worth fighting for, then you go after it and you go all in. Hello, podcast world. Welcome to episode 47 of Run Chats with Ron Runs NYC. Karen Dunn walked off the court at basketball practice with her good friend and teammate in the seventh grade, directly onto the track team, and never looked back. She loved her coach, the camaraderie and routines with teammates, and discovered she had a real talent for running, winning races, setting cross-country course records, and earning a scholarship for college. But it's as a master's runner at age 43 where Karen has truly hit her stride, pun intended and personifies the hashtag faster as a master, progressing from 316 to 310 to 308 to three hours to 257 to a breakthrough 243 at Chicago, where she punched her ticket to Atlanta to run in the Olympic trials. Digging deep, mining all she can on coaching methodology as a Jack Daniels VDOT coach and RRCA certified coach and and mindset. We discussed mindset books, Elite Minds by Dr. Stan Beecham, Let Your Mind Run by Dina Castor, her high school coach and mentor, Why the Fire Burns Brighter as a Master, the two-year build-up grind and journey for an OTQ, her Chicago PR breakthrough in OTQ, what it meant to have her family and run club friends in Atlanta and on the course cheering for her, her coaching platform and her athletes, and what's next. On qualifying for and running in the Olympic Trials Marathon, for me, it's a once-in-a-lifetime experience in the epitome of my running career. I want my kids to walk away from it and see me as a good role model, and hopefully an inspiration to them as well. Seeing how hard work pays off, and if it's something you want and worth fighting for, you go after it and go all in. So much inspo in this one. I hope you all enjoy this convo as much as we did. So let's dive on in and take a listen. Good morning, Karen Dunn. Welcome to Run Chats with Ron Runs NYC. How are you? Good. How are you, Ron? Oh. We're uh, going through some technical challenges this morning, so we're both trying to do it with a smile on our face, and we're hoping that uh, Zoom cooperates and we have a little bit better luck this time around. But other than that, it's been a fabulous morning. How about for you? Yeah, for sure. The weather's finally cooled off. Had a nice run this morning. It was on the cooler side, humid still, but a lot cooler than yesterday, so that was a good way to start the day. Yeah, yesterday was wild. I was out there in that monsoon when it broke loose, man. That was that, oh, was, wow. that was totally wild. But 
I actually didn't mind it. It was like a cold shower and I would never take a cold shower by choice. But if you give it to me on a run, I'm, I'm never, I'm not going to say no, especially not, not in that humidity. Right. Right. No, that sounds good. Minus, you know, of course, if there's any lightning, that wouldn't, uh, wouldn't be nice, but yeah, we want, we want nothing to do with lightning. Thunder we can deal with, you know, some boomers off in the distance, but when we start seeing those streaks, man, you better go find some cover somewhere. Yeah. So I see your hardware on the walls. I see your Atlanta Olympic trials off to your one shoulder and behind you is your Chicago qualifier. So it's great. I always love to see what's in people's rooms behind me. I've got my Boston stuff and my podcast sign and my Tommy Rivers Poozy artwork that I had done. I ran 60 miles for him to raise money for his lymphoma on my 60th birthday. So I always love to see people's rooms. Now you don't have much up there. What you have is so awesome and so significant. So you've stripped away the rest of your stuff. Where do you keep the rest of your running stuff? Your Boston medals, photos, all that stuff. Where is that all housed at? Well, this is, um, the extra bedroom, which is, um, being turned into my office. Although, um, it's hard to find time to get it all done. I would love for it to look at as nice as your background there but um ultimately it's a work in progress so my medals are in my bedroom um and hanging off the dresser and everywhere else my husband asks when are you going to move all this (laughs) so I'm happy to move it I just haven't done it yet but yeah I've got my Atlanta um bibs hanging on the wall over here and um my Chicago qualifiers you mentioned behind me but then it also in boxes over here in the corner are um, my high school and college, mostly high school um, accolades of trophies and medals and such. So um, definitely looking forward to turning this into a Karen cave. So <laughs> I want to get, you know, a little corner cabinet with lights and display some of my more favorite um, trophies and and medals and such. I love it, man. You got to customize that and make it your own. And it's, it's not the pain cave. It's the Karen cave, even better, fully branded. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there are so many companies out there that make customized, uh, plaques, you know, frames, images. I had this, a friend of mine told me about it when I ran all six Abbott majors in 2019, only seven people in the world did it. But they're basically like mini pictures of myself, but it has the Abbott seal and label. It has my times on the bottom. It has the official logos of the race and it's so tiny. But I mean, you you want to talk about custom, you could get a pillow made out of your bib from Atlanta. Like, I mean, they're obviously you're going to keep your main bib, but they'll take that and use it. Keychains, like uh, raincoats, like you wouldn't believe uh, some of the things that can be made. Oh, I like it. Two forty, two forty three fifty nine. And as any psycho runner knows, if it was two forty four oh one or two forty four flat, it would have been like, oh, if I could have just broken two forty four. It's like significant thing though about this is right here, twenty six point two. Yeah, you. How won't... many marathons have you run where it's exactly twenty six point two? Like virtually none. Um, you know, just because of big city buildings and GPS and yeah, that's, uh, that's once in a lifetime in terms of the crazy time. And 245 is the standard for people out there that don't know what the women's standard was, um, for this last go round, which took place in Atlanta. 
and had the absolute record number of women crushing it and being part of it. And I was lucky enough after my Tokyo marathon canceled, I was one day from getting on my plane to Tokyo to go run and get my second six star, um, which would have been super fun. But aside from the second six star, just to see my running friends from all over the world is really what it's about for me. And they come from everywhere and we do shake out and we hang out and then we get together and we drink and have post-race uh, fun. But when it went wrong, everybody's like, oh no, what are you going to do? And I was like, I know what I'm doing, man. I'm booking a flight to Atlanta. I'm not missing, I'm not missing the trials. And I am so thrilled that I got to go down there and be there. So long before we get into your background and how you get into running, just like Tell everybody what that was like, because I've had some other women on who ran the trials, and I've heard it from their voices, and I was actually there, so I saw what was going on, and I felt the energy in the host hotel where all the meetings were taking place, and everybody was just walking around. But talk about it from your perspective, just how completely insane it was. Yeah, um, <clears throat> it was incredible. So this was one of the first races that my family was able to attend with me, too. So along my my journey to, to qualify for the trials. Um, I have two younger kids. They were really young, you know, when I started my journey, now they're nine and 11. Um, I don't really remember how old they were when I started, but I think it was like, you know, five or six, like they were young. Um, so it, it definitely was in fact a journey, but anyway, it was nice that they were able to come along with me. And, you know, from the moment we got off the plane, to, um, you know, getting into the airport, there were volunteers there to really escort us to the train. And then when we got off the train, they escort us to the hotel, a golf cart ride, in fact, to the hotel. And it was really nice, too, because um, my mom, who has been my number one fan throughout my entire running career, um, I also finally convinced her because she's, she's older. Um, she's almost 80 now. So it was hard to convince her to make the trip to Atlanta. And um, I finally convinced her. So it was nice to have a golf cart because she definitely needed that. Um, but yeah, the whole experience there, it was, it was amazing. I mean, it was really lit up with people, um, you know, celebrity runners. Um, you know, I ran into Jared Hall, great person, you know, just normal person have a conversation grab a couple pictures walk into the start line I saw Ryan Hall I'm like hey Ryan he's like who are you <laughs> you know but um it was it was amazing and like you said in the hotel you know when we first got to the hotel and checking in I think we were probably one of the earlier folks that got down there I wanted to get down there early and just adjust and relax but um you know, outside of those who are super elite, those people probably were down there for a lot longer than I was. But checking in, um, you know, the lobby was kind of empty. And then, as you know, we were there checking in. It started to fill until all of a sudden it was like, wow, look at all these people. And look, where there's Mev, you know. <laughs> and, like, it was just very exciting. Um, Mario Fraoli, um, saw him a few times as well. He's a big podcaster or yeah, he's a big podcaster, but it was really neat. Um, and one of the fun things too, uh, you know, you mentioned all the, the meeting rooms. We had different things going on in different rooms. You know, there was one big meeting where they're talking about, you know, more the rules, reg regulations and such. 
And that was really, I think, the night before. Um, but before that, you know, it's come to this room, decorate your water bottles. And um, I like to involve my kids in that one because they're really creative. And I just wanted to involve them as much as possible because, you know, for me, it's a once in a lifetime experience and like the epitome, I would say, of my running career. Um, but for them, I want them to walk away from it and just, you know, see me as a good role model, um, hopefully inspiration to them as well, whether that's in running themselves or, you know, if they don't like to run like my son doesn't, <laughs> although he's a great stride. So I'm hoping someday it may turn, he may turn into a runner, but um, I just want them to walk away from it seeing, you know, you saw mommy leave the house and, and get those workouts in each day. So seeing how hard work pays off, you know, and, and that it doesn't always take a year. It can take longer, but if it's something you want and it's something worth fighting for, then you go after it and you, you go all in. Right. So um, I want them to kind of learn that too. Um, and I think there's a fine line with that. You know, obviously we don't want it to be all in in an unhealthy way, but um, I just want them to walk away from it with, uh, you know, some good inspiration, motivation, and, and the experience to walk away with. So back to the water bottles, um, Sarah Sellers was decorating her water bottles there at the table next to us. And it's like, hey guys, do you know who that is? And um like, no, who's that? I'm like, that's Sarah Sellers. She got stuck in at Boston in that really rainy year. <laughs> um, so she was very nice as well. And it was neat to see how she decorated her water bottles and gave them ideas for how they wanted to decorate mine. My son is uh, a really, so he's, I guess he was nine at the time we went down there, but um, he loves history he loves America. <laughs> so anything red, white, and blue, he's all over it. And they had stickers on the table, you know, American flags and such. So, you know, he was all over that. And, um, you know, so I was able to really find my water bottles pretty easily at each of the water stops. Super cool. Um, getting your mom there big time. I know, I know exactly what that's like. Cause mom was going to be 89 and, um, September 4th. And, to get her to go back up to Middlebury College in Vermont with me like one last time to see Ronnie perform, my son, who's now graduated um, in the COVID year, it was just, I never, ever put any pressure on my mom because she's done everything on earth for all of us, for all of her sons, and then also the nieces, nephews, and on down the line. But, you know, it's exhausting. They get tired. Um, it's a lot more work. Um, she really, there's no way flying, you know, even if I was in the trials, I don't think I could convince her I'd have to get her down there some other way, but like a long drive to Vermont and to spend that last, uh, time together watching him perform was amazing. But to have your kids, to have your mom, to have your family, you know, down there for all of that pomp and circumstance and just amazing energy. I mean, if we could bottle that energy, and store it and capture it, uh, the world would be a way more <laughs> optimistic, positive place because it was just, it was wild. And, you know, running the course a couple of days before and just seeing people everywhere. My only regret is that I just didn't slam my pod equipment in with me and bring it down because I knew so many runners who were running and 
Look, you know, it's a different kind of interview when everybody has such a small window of time, but you know, you can do 15 or 20 minutes with somebody with their kids or their mom or somebody and just talk outside. It doesn't have to be a formal, like long deep dive discussion, but just to kind of capture the sentiment of, of women and men who've worked so hard, um, sometimes five, 10, maybe even longer, maybe multiple um, trial attempts have taken place for them to get to a standard or maybe hit an A standard or whatever the case might be. But so much goes into it. Um, so it's super cool that your family got to be there. And if your son is all about history and the red, white, and blue, we got to get you to run the JFK 50. Come on. It's America's oldest ultra. I know the race director and the technical race direct team. I've had multiple athletes on. I've run the course. For you, Karen, after you get off the AT, it's basically 26.4 miles of running on crushed gravel. So you want to talk about being able to just groove it and rip it, um, you know, and get into like a zone and just like rip it. And then your last like eight to eight and a half are rolling country roads, which again, any strength runner, which you certainly meet all of that criteria and then some, you're made for that because, you know, you've just been running on this basically pancake flat crushed gravel service. And, you know, you get back to the roads to me, I was just like, give me some hills. I wanted some hills um, both ways up or down and just for a change of scenery and the different feel of your muscles, you know, when you're, when you're hitting it. So JFK 50, keep it in mind. It's only a couple of weeks after New York city, your son will be happy. I'm I'm registered. You're running JFK 50. Yeah. Oh my God, a total crapshoot. Throw it out there. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, Devin, Devin Ziegler, and and uh, and Mike uh, Spindler. You know, they're my people. Mike's coming on the show. Uh, Mike has so much history. Not only is an amazing runner himself, like incredible runner, but been involved with that race literally like for almost his whole lifetime, and has a big presence as a coach down there. So cool. Uh, you, you'll have to listen to that pod that's coming up. He was just out at the trials, hanging out with all his old cronies, you know, in the running community um, and doing stuff. And then he made his way to Colorado. He's a big cyclist these days. He rode, climbed uh, Pikes Peak on a bike ride. I saw it up on Facebook. So I think you'll love that course and it will be perfect for you. Just, you just need to get out. If you can, um, you're in PA. I don't know how far you are from getting down there. If you can get down there to run that AT section a couple of times, I think it would really help because it isn't, you know, people say it's crazy technical. It's just, it's single track. Single track is single track, man. You know, one wrong turn, you know, leave over a rock, you know, you can turn an ankle so easily and be down for the count. So it just helps to kind of see it and visualize it. It isn't, like overly hilly in there. I mean, that's really where mostly all of the elevation is. There's a little bit in that last eight and a half, but by that point, you know, you kind of, kind of honestly wouldn't feel it, but awesome. I think it's great. You're signed up for that. Um, if you want to hear about that, you know, on trail running, I just did my first 50 miler at Ithaca, the Ithaca trails 50s. And in the first five miles I fell and I don't know if you can see it, but my finger can't really straighten. <laughs> so I ended up, I broke both of these fingers and I was just at PT for an hour before we met this morning, um, just bending and straightening. <laughs> so I'm just trying to get them back in order. So you ran Cay Cayuga, the Cayuga 50? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I've been doing some trails ever since. Um, so la the last Boston that they had that was virtual last fall, um, I actually, that's my slowest Boston hour because I did it all on the trails as my preparation for an upcoming, I guess it was a 50 K at that time I was preparing for. 
But um, I kind of used COVID and the fact that, you know, trials is done. Um, I could kind of check the box there. And so I got into trail running um, over the summer, into the fall, and then again into the spring. And I've got more um, trail runs booked for next fall. So I'm doing another 50K. I got the um, JFK 50. And I think actually that might, oh, I've got Coke Forest also. I'm looking forward to that. That's a, I guess just a half marathon on the trails, but my family always vacations there. We love it there. So, you know, I booked a long trip for us to stay at Cook Forest and make a runcation out of it. I love it. I love it. So um, it just was not a planned point of discussion, but no, nothing ever no, nothing ever follows any script on my show. And I absolutely love just we go in any direction that we could possibly go. But what uh, made you think about like getting on the trails? Were you doing more of your running on trails and longer runs anyway? And you just really enjoyed it in terms of like keeping yourself healthy, keeping yourself fit? Because I'm a huge believer in getting on trails as much as you can anyway, just because it takes the pressure off pace. It takes the pressure off specific workouts and looking at your damn watch too much and saying, I should be averaging more in XYZ segment. Again, quote unquote, when you're not trying to hit an Olympic standard to get to Atlanta, to get a chance to race on that line. But so many runners run the same routes every day. They're running the same exact courses every day, and they're not giving themselves enough diversity in their training. So just curious what you think about that. And if that's, was that a part of it? Yeah. Well, so basically I, I love the trails and I love trail running. Um, I think because I was training to try and qualify for the trials, it took me away from trail running because I didn't want to injure myself and I'm clumsy and known to fall at least once on every trail run. So pretty much, um, my coach advised me stay away from the trails. <laughs> and so I did. And, you know, my, my family, I grew up camping and staying in cabins and, you know, always hiking, very woodsy, outdoorsy. So, you know, the trails, the woods, something I have always loved. And I, before I went for the trials qualifier, you know, I would incorporate trail runs at least once a week. You know, I really like to get some climbing in um, just for the strength and, you know, maybe a little VO2 boost there. But, um, yeah, so I did remove that basically from my weekly repertoire to, to go on the trials journey. So once that was over, I, you know, I promised myself, go for some 50 Ks, try it out. And, you know, then when friends saw I'm going for a 50 K, they're like, well, you should do the 50 miler, you know, you can do that. So then 50 Ks turned into 50 milers and, and here we are, but, um, it's definitely a different type of training that honestly I enjoy the trails I like running on the trails but I don't know if I like I don't know like you said diversity when it came to the end of like training for that 50 you know I was on the trails almost every day and I missed the roads you know I'm like I like my hilly road runs too because those you know I can really grind and find a nice gear where I can just really like um, you know, get through it pretty quick in the, in the woods, you can't really run as fast as you can the hills on the road. So I missed my road routes. And, um, so I'm back running those now getting ready for Boston this coming fall. Nice. 
Nice. Well, you make some really good observations in there. Um, even people who have really terrific eye-hand coordination, and you know, I've been blessed to be able to play a lot of sports. I played Division One college baseball, and you know, became a single-digit handicapper in golf. Totally self-taught, no swing coach or anything like that. I think if you stick with a sport long enough and you have good mechanics, you know, it can always transfer over to another sport. And I've always considered myself to have really good agility and good coordination. I have taken some serious fucking falls on the trail, Karen. So trust me, you might not consider yourself coordinated, but you can be coordinated as hell and be like eating rocks and gravel and God knows what else so quickly out there. And you're just like, what happened, man? It's like, bang. Um, but you know what? I think it's, it just says a lot about who we are as people. And I think runners are tough inherently. Um, they're very strong-willed people and they just don't give up. They're resilient as, as fuck, as I would say, because I like the F word even more in this instance, um, just to personify further. Um, we just don't give up. I mean, I went down hard on the AT and the JFK. I mean, I was bleeding all over the place. My knee was smashed, which by the way, ended up being the same knee that I got a stress fracture in from a fall five days before I ran the 60 miles on my 60th birthday. So as I'm placing it all back, that's the same knee I smashed on the AT, the same knee that I smashed five days before that. And, you know, I think that I probably had like a hairline fracture before I ran that. And then it just, you know, 60 miles could do it to you anyway, even if you were fully healthy. So I've fallen hard, man, and you're bleeding, but you know what? You get back up and you get to an aid station and the people are just like so into it, man. They're just like, hey man, what's up? How's your day going? And they see you and they're like, hey, you want us to clean that up? I'm like, nope. That's a war wound. Leave it alone. Don't touch it. Plus, I'm like, who knows if like a bone's going to start jutting out and somebody's going to tell you not to run anymore. And I didn't want that to happen because I just wanted to keep going. I wanted to get, you know, this was coming down out of the forest when you finally exit the AT and you get to that crushed gravel section. I just wanted to see it. I'm like, hey, man, they might wheel me out of here and tell me I can't go. And then once I started running on that, I realized I was fine. You know how anything is when you smash it hard enough, you go a little bit just to get the adrenaline going and you're like, yeah, I'm all right. doesn't feel like anything's broken. And then, you know, people come up on you, you talk to them for a little bit, you talk to people at the aid station, you're checking off, checking off the miles. But yeah, I think um, to run really well in ultra, and again, I don't coach anybody in ultra, and I know you coach runners yourself. I think that the best of all world is when you're mixing things up anyway. Um, and ultra runners are tremendous strength runners, but not just physically, way, way, way more up here. And they're amazing problem solvers on the fly, figuring out, you know, when they're vomiting, when this is happening, when toenails are coming off, when thousands of things are coming at them, or they're running through the middle of the night, which is my biggest fear, because I'm not, I'm not one of these people who sleeps out on the land in a tent and like wolves are out there. Like, that's not me. I'm signing up for the four seasons and you guys could all go out there, man. I'm just like, not that, you know, rough it on the land. Um, but you know, ultras are problem solving, man. That's what they are. But when you smash yourself and you get back up, you just, you're sending that message to yourself, man, I'm tough. I'm strong. And in your case, you got kids who are much younger than mine. My son's, you know, fully grown and graduated and didn't like running either. His mom was a 253 marathoner. I was 240. I coached her. He wanted nothing to do with running, you know, running for his sports that I coached his baseball team. Fine. But he didn't want to run. Like his mom would be like, you know, come run two miles with me and dad. Nah, I don't think so. You know, you guys go have a run, have a nice run. And how about one mile? No, I don't think so. And then he ended up running in high school and was like captain of his cross country team and, and enjoyed it. Didn't run in college. So you never know your son. You said he has a good stride. There's still hope for him. He's still so young. We, you could pull, you could pull him in at some point.
I got hope for him. I'm just not pushing him. I'm going to let him find his own way. Yeah. It, look, the more you push, the more they'll resist anyway. So in life, they got to get there on their own. And in my case, that's exactly what happened. When he got into Regis High School in New York City and was going to be commuting in, they advised all the parents because no one, you know, very few of the kids come from New York City to go to this all Catholic um, full scholarship school. It's such a competitive academic school. Sports are like way in the background, but they're like, every kid needs an activity. They don't know each other. None of them, these are not all kids that grew up in grade school and junior high. They're all coming together from all over. They need an activity to help them find their footing and ground them. So he's like, dad, will you help me get ready to do cross country? I was like, what? What did you say? He's like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to try out for a cross country team. I'm like, oh yeah, let's go, baby. Here we go. So we started hitting Van Cortland Park and because that's where they raced. And you know, those were some of the best weekends that I'll, of my life that I wasn't involved in as an athlete, but just as a parent to be out there watching those kids blasting up and down the hills of Van Cortland, screaming our heads off. Super fun stuff. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So um, let's go all the way back to the beginning since we kind of danced around some of the fun stuff in the beginning. But like, where are you from? You know, as a kid growing up, what sports were you involved with? Like, talk to the Run Chats audience a little bit about how you got your start in running and how it was growing up for you with sports and your family and all that. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and that was, you know, honestly, that was like probably the best time of my life was kind of discovering running and um, really kind of finding my, my talent. Um, so, you know, I, th I think in life we all kind of go go through life and not all of us are able to find what we're really good at. Um, but I found that this was, you know, something I naturally gravitated to. Um, you know, I'm lucky I discovered it. I discovered it in a funny way, which I'll share with you in a moment. But um, I'm just thankful that I was able to discover it because now it's such a big part of my life that I couldn't imagine my life without it. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I was in, seventh grade and um my best friend at the time was like hey let's go out for the basketball team and I'm like okay let's do that so we went out for the basketball team and I remember literally like sitting on the floor while the coach is talking to us with a basketball in my hand and he's you know telling us how to shoot the ball you know one hand behind one on the side and how to put some backspin on it and I have to tell you, I am not hand-eye coordinated. I'm not tall either. So basketball was really a poor choice for me. Um, but then I remember, so it was the same girl who wanted me to do basketball that was then like, you know what, let's do track instead. So I think she didn't really get the vibe of basketball either. And I remember sitting on the floor one day and we, we just kind of walked out of practice. I that's how I recall it. Maybe I didn't walk out of practice. It's kind of rude. And I'm surprised the coach wouldn't say, hey, where are you going? But I remember it as we just kind of walked out of practice and joined the track team. And she was doing sprints. Um, and I was doing, well, I did a couple sprints, but then I did the 800. And I don't know how I got roped into the 800. But, you know, I was doing good at it. And I would, you know, win and um set some records so I was like hey this is kind of fun I'll stick with it um and also in seventh grade I remember we ran the mile for gym class and I, I beat 
most of the boys. I think I came in, you know, one or number one or number two. So, and I was surprised because, you know, I didn't do any running. I was very active as a kid, like riding my bike, swimming, but um, I never really ran. I didn't know what that was unless it was tag, you know, so, or soccer. I did play a lot of soccer, so that sure helped. But, um, so anyway, I just remember running in gym class and being like, where is, where is everybody? (laughs) And, um, so I think it kind of started there. And I remember the, the coach and a couple girls from the high school came over on our last track meet to say, hey, Karen, come, you know, join cross country in the fall. We practice over the summer. It's three mile race. I'm like three miles. I run a half mile here, ladies. Like, do you want me to run three? Um, but either way, I I joined and it was the best like couple years of my life. Just the team, you know, not just the, the girls team, but even the boys team, the camaraderie. Um, how we, you know, my, all my friends were to your point earlier on trying to find a sport and a niche to like bring people together. You know, that's, that's how I made all my friends in high school was just being part of the team. And, you know, we all looked out for each other. We all hung out together. We all had the same schedule, you know, it's like there's an invitational tomorrow. Okay. We're not going to the movies tonight, but maybe tomorrow night, you know, (laughs) so um, we all kind of had the same schedule, but yeah, and hung out, but, um, so that was high school and in high school, another thing, like I look back on, in fact, I'm still kind of eyeing up my trophy here on the side that are off in the boxes. Um, my favorite probably high school experience was, was not qualifying for like States, not, not coming in, you know, in the top 10 at districts. But instead, one of my favorite memories is the first time I I won an invitational because, you know, there's 300 girls running this race and I came in first. And it was another one of those, like the seventh grade, like look behind, like, how is this happening? You know, so it was it was wonderful. And that's my favorite trophy to this day. So even though it's a high school trophy, that's one that will be in the case when I finally get it and make this the Karen cave. Um, but yeah, so high school, you know, it's pretty successful. I set, you know, a few records like our course record from my um, high school. So I was from Quakertown. Um, and then from there, you know, I, it was nice because, and I'd like to see this for other families and kids and including my own too, but, you know, discovering that natural talent, opened up doors for me, doors that would otherwise not have even been there. So, you know, when it came time to look for college, colleges were looking for me before I was looking for them. I was getting letters in the mail from, from different colleges. I'm like, wow, oh, I can go here. And wow, they want to offer me money, <laughs> you know? So, and I grew up really kind of poor, um, you know, it was my mom that raised two girls. We, uh, you know, we made ends meet, but to have the opportunity to go to a school where they're going to pay for my entire um, college tuition, I mean, that was incredible. Um, unfortunately, this is one thing I 
maybe look back on and would would do differently. I went to a school that didn't offer quite as much because it had more of the major that I was interested in at the time, which was sports medicine. But instead, I kind of wish I would have went to the school that was more local that had offered a full ride because um, the the coaching um, the coaching experience is so important. If you don't like your coach, and that goes for adults too, right? Now as we're training. Um, and I, even potential clients that call me on the phone, I tell them too, like, hey, these are great questions. And I'm glad that you're talking to other coaches and trying to figure out um, who you mesh with because that matters. If you don't mesh with your coach, your motivation goes down. So that kind of happened a little bit in college. and you know, the other school that had offered a full ride, I, that coach was, I knew I liked him. I knew he was great. Um, a couple girls from the high school team, you know, when they graduated high school, they had gone to this, this college as well. So it would have been nice to kind of experience that, I think, but, and I guess I don't want to take it back, but you know, the, the route that I did go because, you know, I did have experiences that I wouldn't have otherwise had if I went that direction. So it's like, you know, one or the other, but, um, that's high school and college. So college, I was competitive too, but then after college, I took a break. Oh, and I, I needed that because I was competitive my whole life and I just needed time to kind of reset and, um, you know, focus on different areas of my life. Uh, getting a job, you know, saving for a house or or whatnot, um, starting a family. So, you know, that was kind of post-college, but that that's the gist of my background. You know, really, it, it was successful. I, I realized I had some talent and I worked that talent um, to a degree. But I think taking the break and coming back was good because now, as an adult, um, I just feel that I have more when it, when I want to grind and I want to go after something, I feel like I've got more of that fire inside me to get after it now than I did then. I think even in college, you know, coach tells you go out and run this or go out and do that. Um, I'm not sure I took it as serious, you know, um, I don't know if it was because I was running with other other people my age and we were just younger, you know, I, and it didn't feel like the focus was as, as much there as it is more so now or in the past couple of years. Well, yeah. Um, well, there's a lot to unpack in there. So thanks for sharing. Um, I can visualize you being ahead of 300 kids, uh, a little young girl running with your hair flapping behind you and looking around going, Holy shit, where is everybody? I'm winning. Um, that's something we all need to bottle, that feeling of uh, when we surprise ourselves. There's not many times in our life when we actually really surprise ourselves to the point where it's just like bliss, like, wow, like I want to, you know, capture this moment and I want to save that feeling, which is why that trophy still is the most significant one to you, because um, you can still put yourself back in that moment in time. And 
you know, some of those experiences you had, um, you know, trying basketball, trying the sport, that's, that's what life is meant to be. We're supposed to try different things until we find what we really like. And whether it's finding our partner for life and a husband or wife or a company that just gets us and, and values our contributions and, and maybe our, our uh, partners that join our business, if we are entrepreneurial and start our own company and find other like-minded people that are willing to do the work and grind, as you say. Um, but coaching plays such an important part other than your friend, you know, getting you to get up off the basketball floor and you guys did your own walkout. I love it. So we have walkout, we have walk on, you know, cause when you're a walk on in college, you earn your scholarship or maybe you just make the team and they don't have any money to give you. Um, but it's super cool. Like, so you guys just like got up and laughed and like joined that crew and that became your new like thing. That's how you roll. That's your group of people. That's, that's your everything. Um, but I know your high school coach is somebody you had strong feelings for and somebody who had a big impact on you and somebody you're still close with today. Um, so that is awesome. But also on the other side, um, having the college coach where you guys didn't connect as much, that's all to me, there's as much learned there as there is from your high school coach being awesome and having that reverence for this person today who still matters to you and maybe matters even more to you today because you take from both buckets. You don't just take from the good bucket, the things your high school coach taught you and the lessons that he shared with you or how he made you feel as a person or as a runner. You take from the other side because you say, hey, I don't want to do it this way. I don't want to make the runners that are going to be part of my team, you know, part of my coaching set, part of my stable of athletes that I'm going to work with. You know, it's how you mesh that you talked about, your communication. How do you guys work? Um, do you need to be Zoom? Do you need to be face-to-face? -face? Do you need to see your athletes? Maybe some athletes actually need that. Maybe some athletes want nothing to do with tech. They just want to text and say, I did this workout and here are my heart rates and my paces and that's great for them. So the real magic in it, unraveling it, is figuring out what each of those athletes that you are coaching now, or when in your case, you had someone coaching you, obviously, to get you to this huge aspirational goal of trying to make the trials. And it's not like you were coming in at 246. I mean, you were running over three-hour marathons and had to chip away and chip away over a period of years. So I think the learnings from all of that is what makes us who we are. And you bring that into your own, you know, life as a parent, your, your, you know, how you treat your children, how you treat others in your world, but certainly the other athletes that you coach. So I think you, you always have to keep that part in mind. Yeah, absolutely. You're right. And, you know, every, every athlete's different, like you said, and, um, the needs, the, I guess the needs that they have are different too, in terms of, you know, some of my athletes don't even answer the questions <laughs> that I put out there to them. Um, and others, you know, comment um, very frequently. So, you know, some need more of that personal touch and others are just like, just give me the workout. Just give me the workout. <laughs> yeah. So, But it's all good, you know, and I, I care just as much for all of them in terms of, you know, how much energy and time I'm putting into, you know, creating those workouts and just getting them closer to their goals. Um, and a lot of them too, it's, you know, again, you know, a lot of the athletes I coach are adults and, you know, we got full-time jobs, we have kids. So for, so for a lot of them, it's more about being able to schedule um, around their life schedule and still allow them to feel fit, get runs in, feel successful, 
you know, around all these other responsibilities that they have going on. Yeah. I mean, that, that might be the single most important piece of being a really good coach. Um, because understanding people's life situations, you know, are they separated, going through a divorce, did they just get laid off from a job, did some family member get COVID? I mean, all of these things are like, oh, I've got a 20-mile run with six at marathon pace and, and two in the middle at half marathon pace, and nah, not really. Um, it's not happening. Um, and if you're going to half-ass it, you know, sometimes it's just better. To, and if you have that strong relationship that's built on trust, you can be like, you know what, Karen, I'm not, I'm not into this. This is not going to go down today. So what should we do? Because I can tell you right now, my head's not in it. And if a coach is really tuned into an athlete, they might be taking it the other way, saying, you know what, Ron, don't let's let's table this one. You know, you're you've been trending, things are going well. We don't need this this one today. And I think what most people don't realize is they just think, okay, when will they? I'll just do this tomorrow or the next day. No, that's not a good schedule is written to build like gradually and you know get you ready to hit a peak. And you know, something's in times like a specific workout might just have to be taken out altogether or modified and pushed a little bit further out. But that's what, you know, a really good coaching athlete relationship looks like when you understand those highs and lows and can adjust. Because on the converse, things can be going really, really well. And you've got to be able to identify that. Like, you know what, maybe they can handle another 10% more mileage, or maybe we can add one more mile repeat to this workout or et cetera. And, you know, that's, uh, that's the magic of it, you know, like playing with that and tinkering with it and trying to get it right. Yeah. Well, so I am certified through Jack Daniels, uh, as a VDOT coach. Um, so there's certain, you know, for following those strategies, there's certain rules of thumb that come and play with that. So, you know, and, for example, like with your threshold pace runs, um, you know, rule of thumb is 10% of your weekly mileage. So if you're running 60 miles a week, you could probably uh, hypothetically um, do six miles at threshold pace in a single workout, um, you know, or potentially a little bit more if you're running more miles. So there's, you know, some standards in place that help you implement the strategies that um, Jack Daniels researched and, and proven over time. It's, it's really methods of success. Um, I've trained in his methods before I became certified in them and had really bettered my marathon each time I ran. So I ran, my first one was like 316. I went from there to like a 310, and then I think a 308, and then I dipped under three for my 257 couple 252s, 251, and then I hit that crazy six-minute PR to get the 243. So, but um, all that training, um, most of it, in, including, I think, you know, working with the coach that I did to to train towards that goal, qualifying for the trials, um, I think a lot of that felt VDOT-oriented um, as well. Um, but before that, I was really just coaching myself. I brought myself down to a 252 at Wine Glass in New York. And at that point, you know, someone had pointed out to me like, hey, you know, you're only a few minutes off the standard for the Olympic trials. And I knew nothing about it, quite honestly. So again, here comes into play, like, you know, really um, being part of a community. So for example, the running community, 
And so one of my friends in the running community pointed that out to me. If she didn't, I probably never would have known it. Or, um, you know, she was probably a pivotal moment too in changing my life and my direction. Because at that point then, you know, it's the few years following that that were really significant to me um, physically and mentally. Uh, you know, physically train hard, super hard. Um, you know, and I think I have a little bit of natural talent, but I always say I've got a bigger heart than I do talent. Um, and I train hard and consistently. Um, so I'd really, you know, gotten to a certain point, but getting to that 252, I knew I needed something more. Like it was just in my gut. Like as soon as I crossed the finish line and as soon as she said that, it was in my gut that in order to move the dial any further, I need something different. So that's why I hired a coach. But um, another thing that was significant for me was reading the book, Elite Minds by Stan Beecham. If you like books, I recommend it. It's it was it's amazing in terms of how it just transformed my thinking to allow me to accept the fact that I'm going to qualify for the trials. Like I'm going to do this. And when it happens, here's what it's going to look like. And, you know, so we always have that self-doubt. I, I think it's innate. Like we all have a little bit of self-doubt somewhere. But this book really kind of taught me how to remove that, how to think confidently and, you know, really kind of, I've always been, I've always, um, what do you call that? Visualize. I have always visualized my races. Like in high school, I would always visualize my race before it happened. In fact, I had this um, phrase written in highlighter on my wall so that my mom couldn't see it. But when I put the black light on, you could see it. And what it would say was, you have to visualize some your race basically a hundred times over what you have to win the race a hundred times over in your mind before you win it in real life. So I love that quote, even to this day, but um, yeah, so that, that book really kind of, I think helped me get over that last little hump because even though I was training to make the trials, I was not hitting my paces um, it was hot summer training. My coach basically, I, I asked her, I was like, do you, do you really think I can do this? You know, and, and I'm positive and I think I can, but the window of time was closing, you know? So, um, I did, I asked her at one point and she's like, you got to start making your paces. And I, I wasn't making my paces and workouts until probably six weeks before the marathon. And then I started seeing a little glimmer and she said, you're starting to round the corner. <laughs> I'm like starting to round the corner. Oh man. Well, the marathon's around the corner. Let's hope uh, I make the full turn. Um, luckily I did obviously, but yeah. That's great. So let's, let's come, let's go all the way back to wine glass. Cause that's where it kind of starts to, uh, crystallize. Um, I have 
often have athletes on here who've run in the trials or done amazing things, you know, qualified for Kona in the Ironman triathlon or run Western States and ultra, you know, these big mega, you know, mecca places to get to, um, to achieve something remarkable. I have had a longstanding belief that um, people who have strong mindsets and, you know, really will go after the really hard things in life, somewhere in them, that idea is dormant and it has to be activated by someone else. Even though you might know it's there and you might have this incredible amount of self-confidence in your own belief to your point on the highlighter on the wall, you have to win the race a hundred times. Like we need someone, whether it's the high school coach, your friend who got you to walk out of the gymnasium, we need somebody to just actually make that statement out loud that takes the thought of the Olympic trials and brings it to the front of our own mind. Like somewhere in there, you really thought you could do that anyway. Maybe you didn't have any idea what the time was or the standards or all of the other rules that are around it. Um, you know, that it's a, it's clock time. It's not chip time. There's so many other rules. It has to be run in a certain course. Elevations are in play. It, you know, it has to be sanctioned and certified. So there's all these rules surrounding it. And for good reason, you know, you can't just, you know, run one of these dive bomber, you know, courses that drop 5,000 feet of elevation and, you know, show up on the Olympic trials. Um, not saying that they're not, that they're automatically easy because they're not, um, and they can beat the crap out of your body, but there's a lot to learn about it, but it was started by your friend. So who is your friend? You got to give her a shout out. Maggie Buterell. I don't know if I say her last name right, but um, love it. Well, you can you can give me. Maggie, if I just don't don't worry about <laughs> it. Your last she she's gonna appreciate she's gonna appreciate it because she she'll get a shout out and maybe we'll even mention her in the write up. But so she brings this idea to light that you probably just didn't even realize was there on some other level. Maybe you weren't thinking Olympic trials, but you knew there was something way harder you wanted to try to tackle. And by the way, for anyone who doesn't know, wine glass is a tough course, okay? That is no easy course. That is not a cakewalk course. I mean, there's some well, serious- some... I don't know. I disagree. It's known to be a, it's a net downhill. Oh, it's a deep... I'm mixing it up with the one, um, oh my gosh, which one am I missing it, mixing it up with? Because the one I know my friend ran after Boston, because he he had a rough day in Boston, like so many, because of humidity, and when yeah, he, he ran, ran another, yeah, he ran another one. I thought that was what it was called, but I saw the elevation profile for the one that he ran, and it was it was two loops of the same course, and it was really really tough. Uh, yeah, no, 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 no. This is not. This is um from end to end. Okay, so you get you get bust out to the start, got and it, and then you run into um, I guess it's like Corning. Yes. Okay. Um, it's a cute little town. I think it's outside of Corning, actually. I don't know the name of the town. But um, yeah, no, it's a beautiful course. It's a net downhill. And it's, I guess I would call it similar to Boston, but not as not as tough as Boston. So, you know, most of it is fairly flat, a little bit rolling. Um, there is one bigger hill. And unfortunately, it is towards the end. But it it looks bigger than it actually feels, you know, the closer you get to it, it's one of those where it looks huge when you're like approaching, but then it seems to like flatten out as you get closer, but it's still a hill. Um, but yeah, I feel like some of those types of courses just take the, you know, like your, your body changing the muscles that you're using makes it a little bit easier. So that was one thing I was worried about um, with Chicago, knowing how flat it was. I was afraid that I wouldn't do as well because I am more of a strength runner. I do like the hills. 
Um, so I was actually a little bit worried because of how flat Chicago was. I'm like, man, I'm, am I going to like just tank out because I'm going too fast or I, I had no idea what to expect. Although, I mean, I've done Chicago before, but now going it with the pressure of trying to make a certain time, I'm like, yeah, that worried me. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a fabulous course. Um, I ran 240 there in 1996 when I was 35, and uh, oh, nice. the, the elite women destroyed me because uh, I ran with a huge pack of them. Because back then, elite women weren't running these insane times that they are today. If you could run a 240 as a guy, you were up maybe even in the top 10 of the women, maybe like ninth or 10th. Um, but they, I mean, sure, they have, you had Dina Casters running crazy fast times to win, but 10th or maybe 15th or 20th were more in the 240 range, maybe even 250. I mean, my ex, my ex ran 253 at Marine Corps and she came in third. So, I mean, the strength of women's times, the depth of women's times are just awe-inspiring in terms of like how seriously they've ramped up their game, not only in marathons, but in ultras at Western States, you know, they had crazy high finishes, um, in the top 10, three in the top 10 and, uh, trying to remember what the number was in the top 20. It was a very high number, like higher than ever before in tough conditions. So yeah, they ground me down, man. I was rolling with like a 235 group through like 22, 23. And then they just, of course, hit the gas for like the last 5K. And I I felt like I bombed the last 5K, but I didn't. Like my slowest mile was like a 652 or something, but I felt like I was running like nine minute pace because they destroyed me. And I remember feeling like I suck. I, I couldn't close the deal, but you know what? A lot of it is just nutrition too. Um, there's mindset, of course. And I just didn't understand stuff back then. I was 35 years old. And although that's not young, I started running at 33. So I didn't run in high school or college. I was very late coming to the sport. I didn't understand gels and feeling. I just drank the Gatorade from the cups and the water. And, you know, I didn't really know any better today, man. I wouldn't go into a marathon without knowing I need X number of Morton gels. Or if I can't get gels, like in New York, I'm lucky enough where I have friends that I can say, okay, if you're on the corner of 91st, you know, on the east side corner, you're going to have a Morton bottle for me. Okay. And I know where they are because you know what it's like in New York, how insane that is, or Boston for that matter. But if you know, like at the firehouse turn, be one block further on the right-hand side of the road, like, yeah, I mean, you could, or before the firehouse turn in, in, up in Boston, you could absolutely see somebody if you know where they're going to be. It's way different for them trying to, they can't find you. There's like no way on earth. So, but again, when you're running Chicago, you're running with the elite field. So you have your own bottles on the tables, right? You had your bottles out there, right? No, I was with the American development group. Ah, um, okay. We started with the elites. Um, you know, we were all, we we're basically in a tent and the elites um, were in the tent next to us. but. Yeah, we all started at the same time. Um, I did not have water bottles. So, and it, it's funny you say that um, because I was going to say the energy at Chicago that year was 2019. Yep. So 2019 in October, that fall, when we ran Chicago, the window was closing for the Olympic trials. So basically you had from then till I think January 18th or 15th or something like that, like right in January, that window was then closed. So whoever made it, made it, you didn't, tough luck. Um, so, and I say tough luck very lightly, but <laughs> you know what I mean? It's not tough luck. It's 
it's, you know, it's heartbreaking. But um, anyway, the energy was amazing. Um, and when, when I got into the tent uh, to prepare for the race, you know, where we did our warm-ups and stuff before, I was a little ill-prepared. So I probably spent more time eating my breakfast. I'm all about fueling. I don't want to hit the wall ever, you know, so I had my pancakes, I had my coffee, I had my blip, my beet smoothie and, you know, all that special stuff, probably generation you can too. Like I probably overdo it quite honestly, <laughs> um, out of nervousness, but I had all this, you know, nice breakfast, sit down in the hotel in the lobby, scoped out where the microwaves were so I could heat up my pancakes I bought the previous day. How many hours, how many hours before just to share with people who maybe aren't as experienced because fueling is so important. It is at least two for me. I like back in high school in those days, I used to try and make it three hours because I had a tendency to get kind of sick. Um, you know, if I didn't, if I ate too close to the race, but now I feel like, you know, I'm a little, um, stronger in that sense. My stomach's a little stronger. So, um, two hours is about what, what I do, maybe a little bit more, um, just because I don't want to start getting hungry before the race or during, um, but yeah. And then I fuel every 30 minutes. So that's about what every four miles or so. Um, so yeah, but the, the energy was crazy. So when I say ill-prepared, basically the only thing I was ill-prepared for was probably the most important part, which was knowing what, what times I should be passing through each checkpoint at. Um, I had them written down on paper or I had it on my phone anyway, but I didn't have it in my head and I didn't have it anywhere where I could take it with me. So I, I did bring a pen though. <laughs> And one of the girls at the tent wrote all the paces down my, my forearm and they were starting to get a little blurry, you know, as the race went on. But it's funny because, you know, I was, I was really just looking at elapsed time on the course. Um, that's what my coach told me to do, especially with all the, the buildings and the GPS not working properly. She's like, the only thing you need to know is how long you've been out there. Um, so I was looking at a lap time, comparing that with the splits on my arm. Um, but the energy, which um, started this or spurred this memory here, is the the groups of people. Like you just knew that that day, everybody was going for the standard. Everybody was going for it. And you knew it. It was hair raising. Um and the men that were like people were just running in in massive groups running that 616 pace. And I'm telling you, these groups were big. And they were big to the point where it made me a little uncomfortable because I'm like, I don't want to fall. I don't want to trip on someone. I can't get to the water station because it's this mass running, moving forward together. Um, but I, I I ran in that mass for a short amount of time. Um, you know, and some of the guys would pass water. They're like, how many waters do you want? I'm like, oh, you guys normally do two. I only do one, <laughs> you know, like, is that an option to take two? But, um, they would pass the water bottles over to get it to people on the outside of the group. 
or you would see people run out and run back, you know, and it was a little windy. So I'm like, you know, is it, is it, and, and the group was running just like a hair too fast. So I'm like, do I stay in the group or do I just kind of fall back and, and take the wind on my own? Well, I decided to fall back because that pace, like I said, it was just a little too much. And I knew, you know, I don't want that to bite me in the end. So I decided I'll fight the wind and just run the pace I know I can do and be able to get my fuel as needed. Well, it's funny because another girl, um, she backed off the same big pack. And I told her, I was like, yeah, I just feel like they're running just a little too fast. And I knew she was going for the standard too. Well, her and I ended up running the entire race together. And you probably can't see, but she's the other person in the picture with me on the, on the wall there. Um, but yeah, we ran the rest of the race together and we went through each checkpoint. She's like, are we good? I'm like looking at my arm. I'm like, yep, we're good. <laughs> you know? And then it came to the last, well, it was the last six miles. So I was like, this is just through mile 20. And then after that, you know, we just, we, we, we can go faster basically if you're feeling good. But, um, you know, even though mile 20 came, I, I didn't necessarily break loose yet because I'm still like, there's still a lot of race left, like within six miles. If you start pushing too hard now, you could kind of, you know, kick the bucket. (laughs) So I decided to really just kind of stay conservative still. Um, but with three miles left, I did start to push in the last three miles and back my pace got a little quicker. I think I ran a couple like six, 10, six, 11, which is mind boggling to me. Like at this point, I don't think I can run that fast. Um, at least not at this point in training, but, um, yeah, it was amazing. The day just came together so well, but that energy was, was pretty crazy and women would cross the finish line and make the standard. And for me, like, I guess coming back to that book of mindset, you know, having visualized it so many times and knowing I'm going to do it, it's just a matter of when I, I didn't cry. <laughs> like nothing, nothing happened. I mean, I did ask the people around me about a hundred times and have to look at the clock about a hundred times to say, are we sure I did it? Like, you know, cause it just, I don't know. It was like, came together. There it was. It happened. And, uh, it was just weird. It was weird. That's a great recap. And, um, I've, uh, been lucky enough to race Chicago when I was in my youth and when I was faster and I actually ran the year you did. That was I, the year that I ran all six. So, um, oh, awesome. uh, it was, it was more than a little windy. It was real windy at times now because you were in a bigger group, at least initially before you splintered off and just like teamed up together, maybe you weren't feeling it quite as much, but there were definitely spots where it was blowing, blowing pretty good. But it was more towards the end of the race that it got windy. Yeah. Oh, it was a hundred percent more towards the end. Um, particularly before you just go down that long straightaway before you bang the right and you go up over the bridge and then you make the final left to finish in. But, um, it was a fabulous day to run. I mean, I just loved it. The crowds were great as they always are in Chicago and the American development group is fabulous. Um, 
I think that's one of the reasons why Chicago is such a great place for people that are trying to hit a, a, a PR, a standard, do something really big and break through. And CIM is just really kind of cornered the market on becoming like an Olympic trials qualifier factory. And they just know how to handle all of it, the bottles, groups, getting people together. And you just see these massive groups of people rolling together. It's inspiring. And look, if you're at that level of fitness, it's going to help you in so many other ways to be out there, whether it's with one person who you end up teaming up with, or it's four or eight, or you stay in that whole main group. I mean, at some point it's inevitable. People are going to die off. Someone's going to get a cramp. Someone's not going to be feeling it. Somebody's going to get a side stitch or somebody's feeling strong and decides to be brave and just say, caution to the wind, I'm going. Um, and then you got the people out there like Peter Bromka and Tommy Rives behind me who at CIM and then Rivs went back out in Houston and like was way ahead and on pace and just like fell and, you know, had an issue and didn't make it. So there are as many amazing stories like yours of people who did it and broke through and had it, you know, manifest itself and come to life. And as many people like Bromko who missed by like one second or two seconds and, you know, you can't go, <laughs> you know, you just, you missed. Um, but it's, uh, what a, what a super, uh, cool experience to be able to take that in and have somebody to to roll those miles with. And as far as what you talked about, I when I coach and I'm not coaching anymore, I would never allow anybody to think that that was a good plan to like let it rip with 10K to go. Because I don't care if you're running 140 miles a week. I don't care how strong you are. You can blow it up in the last 10K. If you've nailed your fueling all the way and you're super strong and you want to go for it, go for it. But to me, I would always be much more like you. I'd be like either wait to the last 5K or four miles. I'd hold people off to then because if you're strong enough, those a couple of those six, 10 miles could have become 601s or 602s. Then all of a sudden, you know, what if in the last two miles, the wind was blowing harder and you weren't with her and all of a sudden your mindset wasn't where it needed to be. It's amazing how quickly 30 seconds can go back the other way. And then if you see that on your watch and you're worrying about that, all of a sudden that all trans transfers down the line and it can become, instead of composure and I'm doing this can become almost panic. And then that's when things can, you know, potentially go wrong. So there's the physical element, there's the mental element, the book you talked about, Elite Minds. Um, I also know you're a fan of Dina, as I am. I've read Dina's book and I, I talk about it all the time. Our self-talk, the things that we say to ourselves, which is why my mantra is stay in the fight. Like people say all the time, they use negative words in a mantra. The problem is the brain hears the negative word. It's like, you know, I won't quit. You know, it's like, that's not a good mantra at all. Like it has to be, positive affirmational things. It can't be negative words. Like, you know, you know, it has to be a, a different phrasing, but also it has to be something that's personal to you. It doesn't matter if I like stay in the fight or how many other people like it. It only matters that it means something to me because uh, I visualize what that is. I visualize how tough I can be, how strong I can be. I've never boxed in my entire life, but I always think of really tough fighters who were on the ropes in life and managed to make it through a round and then make it through to the other side. I'm always like, hey, I'm in a rough spot. 
I can dig my way out of this thing. Okay. And how am I going to dig my way out? I'm going to ease off the gas pedal for whatever, 30 seconds. Like I'm going to fart lick run. I'm just going to back it down the slightest little bit. I'm not going to be staring at my watch and my heart rate, but I'm just going to ease off for a little bit here. Okay. And then I'm going to push the pace back as soon as I get to that next lamppost, or I'm going to go hunt this girl in the orange jog bra or this guy, you know, with the ponytail, like you have to be able to play these mental tricks with yourself. It's a long day out there, extremely long. And if you're don't have your mind game in order, like you're talking about with the, this particular book, Elite Minds, or like Dina's book, you have to work on the mental side of the sport. It's so important. Yeah, absolutely. I read Dina's book too, actually, right before I read the Elite Minds. So it was a couple, you know, mindset-oriented books that I had read beforehand. Um, even Ryan Hall's book, um, Run the Mile You're In, that was another one too. So all good things, you know, you, you take something from from each book and each experience that the author shares. Yeah, so um, take us to Atlanta because we have to get there. Um, and then, of course, if there's anything else big that we didn't get a chance to touch on, we'll give you a shot to, you know, put put something else out there to share with everybody before you know, we roll out, but Atlanta, like the actual race, I mean, when you talk about the experience and you're having your mom there and, you know, doing the bottles and all that stuff, what was race day like for you? Cause I was out there on peach tree, screaming my head off, taking a zillion photos, watching everybody roll by. And that was a tough day. I mean, it was windy as all hell out there. And that course just beat everyone up, women, men, elites, super, super elites, people who are expected to, you know, earn their place maybe to go to Tokyo and not. So what was it like for you just from the running experience? Yeah, well, I mean, you nailed it. It was a tough day because the wind, um, but, you know, the whole experience just, you know, coming into a tent uh, before the race and looking around and, and seeing, you know, that you're there with all the big dogs, <laughs> you know, all the people who, who've inspired you and your running career, all those running celebrities, they're in the same time that you are and sharing the same space, um, doing the same warm up route. Uh, you know, it was, um, you mentioned that, it, you know, going for the standard, it, it goes on, um, gun time, not chip time. So, you know, that meant starting up front in a lot of races. And why I'm mentioning that is just because the warm ups for those races, yeah, I'd be able to see the same people, but on the Olympic trials day, um, it was different. It was like, we all, you know, earned our right to be here. We are all running the same race. Um, and it was just neat to not, I guess, see any separation between, you know, any type of elite and um, someone like myself. I mean, I guess you'd consider me elite, but I'm obviously not, you know, top of the line. But, um, you know, it was it was an experience in that capacity and being able to walk to the start line and and see Ryan Hall along the way. You know, he's a a big inspiration to us all. And I love his wife, Sarah, also kind of following her journey. Um, but yeah, it was, it was very interesting. Um, just getting to the start line. I think, you know, where, where the excitement was, was getting out on the course. And, and I looked forward to seeing, you know, the top women 
circle around at the turnaround and you know that would give me a glimpse of all right who's in first second and third because you know I want to watch the race too (laughs) but I'm in it so um my training journey to get to the Olympic trials was a little bit stunted and that I had incurred an injury along the way that took me out for a couple of weeks um and you know it was painful to run through but ultimately you know, I, I got myself back on track and was able to train a little bit more before the race. So I wasn't looking for a personal best. I think when I started my training for the trials, I was hunkering down. I'm like, you know what? I just ran a 243. Let's see if I can run a 240, you know? <laughs> so I'm like, let's see what I can do. And that, that might be what bit me is coming out of gate too strong. I was hitting the hills. Like, I mean, I, I, you know that I like the hills and we talked about that, but maybe I was going after them too much, uh, you know, running the hilly routes. But anyway, um, when I got to the race, yeah, that was the one thing I really looked forward to was that turnaround point. So I could kind of eyeball, you know, all those lead, lead runners and see what position they were in. Um, my coach was in the race. So being able to see where she was and how she was doing, um, it was really cool to like have water bottles and, you know, have a particular table and slot for them and being able to pick up those water bottles and recognize them because my kids decorated them for me. Um, you know, everything was very special in terms of like the course, yeah, the, the fans on the course were amazing, especially um, by, the, I think it was the movie theater on, um, I guess it was probably right around mile three um, on the course, but there was a movie theater there. I just remember seeing some of the Boston buddies and, um, you know, some of my friends on the course over there. So I always tried to look good and fast as I'm running past them. And then, you know, maybe I'd slow down a bit after I pass them. No, I'm just kidding. But, <laughs> um, but the wind was really bad. So, you know, the hills are hills and, you know, I like them. I like them. They can get tough, especially in a marathon. Um, so you got to learn how to run them. And I think by effort when you're going uphill versus time, but, um, that wind was crazy. I remember coming around, getting ready for the second loop. We, we climb a hill and it was like the wind was just hitting us from the side so hard that it was knocking my one foot into my leg. And, um, there was a girl there who's like tucked behind me. We'll take turns. And, you know, so some girls were working together. Um, but it was windy. I mean, even my friends who, and I have to make a shout out here. So there's a, a group that I run with locally and they, you know, because the paces I'd have to run, even on easy runs were a little faster. It really kind of took me away from being able to run with my community, my local running group, the people who got me into marathoning. <laughs> so it took me away from them in training. Um, even though we'd start together, pretty much wouldn't see them other than, hey, at the start and then see you later at the finish, right? But if I'd even see them at the finish. Um, but anyway, a group of them came out to see me in Atlanta and 
when I saw them, oh my gosh, it was crazy. It was amazing. Um, there's probably a group of about oh, at least five, maybe eight of them. And they thought it was interesting that I came all the way across the road just to high five them and then go all the way back to my side of the, you know, the course where everyone was running. They're like, Oh my gosh, she came all the way over here to give us a high five. And I'm like, of course, like, this is my victory lap. I'm not looking to do anything, you know, outstanding here today, especially coming back from injury. I'm just happy. My family is here. Friends are here. It's a day to celebrate, you know? Um, So that was really amazing, but it was funny because towards the end you go, it it really, it gets really quiet. There were really no um, supporters, like no fans um, out on the course as you go out to like the torch and circle around and come back behind that whole like industrial type um, part of the course. Yeah. Where the stadium was back by the torch. I know, I know where you're talking about. Yeah, and there was really, like, no one back there. Um, But you come down a little hill, but then you go up a big one, back to the torch, and then you do your little circle back before you go back up another hill, around the stadiums, and to the finish. Um, And back there, going up that hill, that the wind there was immense. Um, I see a picture in my head that I, I've seen pictured many times of the top two ladies, um, you know, going after that hill and um, really kind of working out the, you know, grinding it out together, going up that hill and fighting the wind. But the wind there and the last hill before you get up to the stadium, I mean, it broke people. <laughs> there, there were people who literally, um, there were a lot of Philadelphia runners so I'm from the Philadelphia area um, who are running. And in that area, I, I passed at least two other Philadelphia area runners that were running in the race that day. Um, and just the wind. I mean, it literally broke people. It was that bad. And I remember talking to my friends after the race and them saying, you know, I don't know how you did it out there. Just standing out here as a fan, that wind was, you know, crazy. Um, so yeah, it was, it was, it was tough. It was a tough race, but, um, again, for me, I wasn't looking to get any kind of PR, um, going into it after, you know, having sustained an injury and the training cycle and just getting back to running close to when the trials was, um, I just wanted to complete the race and, and, you know, do what I could, but I didn't push it to any, like, you know, I didn't, I didn't push myself too hard, but I still ended up with a 253. I was pretty happy with that. I thought, you know, if I could come out of it with a 252 or something like that, I'd, I'd be happy. But uh, yeah, so it was a great day, great day, great fans, great energy, like you said. And those, I don't know what you call them, but those long inflatable things that you bag together. I don't, do you know what they call those? Vuvuzelas or something like that from soccer. They're very big in like World Cup, man. The people are oh bang, banging those so things. <laughs> they were so loud. I'm like, what is that noise? And then I realized it's these things people are banging together. Yeah. So much energy out there. Yeah, it's uh, it was a as rough a conditions as you could have to run in 
from the swirl, it was the swirling winds is what it really was, um, to make you expend so much extra energy. But it's just a tough course. That's it. I mean, like I love hills. I run in Central Park all the time. The hillier the course is, the better I usually do. But that course just kept coming at you. And then when you factor in the wind, like you're talking about, I know exactly where you're talking about where the, uh, the flame was in the back over there on that hill. It wasn't that crazy steep a grade if you look at it from a, pro- from a profile, but you're not running at once. You're coming back and then the wind is blowing while you're trying to go up there at the end when you're like basically running out of juice. So it was really, really tough and it took a huge toll and a lot of obviously super like that higher echelon elite field, they'll, they'll drop because, you know, they, no one could have known that that was going to be the last race before COVID and that the world was literally going to stop and running as we know, it was going to basically be paused like for more than a full year. So a lot of those elite men and women, you know, cause a lot of my listeners maybe don't even understand that component. Look, they've got all sorts of gates in their contracts with Nike or ASICs or Saucony or whatever sponsoring them, you know, that they have to perform or hit this level of XYZ. Well, if they're good enough, you know, to example, qualifying the 10K or the 5K in the trials and get to the Olympics, that's worth more to them as an athlete and for the brand that's sponsoring them. So they have to make those kind of hard calls, unlike us in the Boston Monsoon, who are sitting there going, I'm not taking myself off this course. I got to finish. I don't care what I do. I don't care what happens to me if I'm going sideways, if I'm crawling, if I'm walking. You know, that's decisions that the super elite, the, the highest level, the ones who really have a chance to medal and really win races, they have to make different decisions than we do. Um, but I love the fact that, you know, we're, you know, able to do great things, you and other athletes who come on my show and do great things. But, you know, that's not something that's ever going through, you know, somebody like your your head, my head, or anybody else that I've ever had on the show. We're just like, no, man, we got to finish and we got to keep pushing. And, you know, the time isn't going to be as good on a day like that. And the times weren't. But let me tell you something, Alafini and, and Molly Seidel, they just, they ripped that race wide open, man. They took it by the jugular. And, you know, one thing that you raised the point of as a runner who's racing, because it's so rare for us. I mean, when we run Boston, you know, it's just like you take off and just go straight the whole way into your first turn at the firehouse. I mean, you only see the other runners that are around you. You don't ever see an elite runner. When you run New York, you go across the Verrazano Bridge. Like, you know, in Chicago, you're looping around through these boroughs and cities and neighborhoods, but you don't get a chance to see the other elite men and women like blast by you like more than once. I can't even imagine what an adrenaline shot that would have been to see them, you know, ripping back in the other direction, seeing Galen or Molly or Alafina or anybody else who are your favorite runners. We all have our favorites, people that we like really look up to, a Sour Hall you mentioned before and Ryan also. That had to be you know, crazy cool. I know for us, man, I'm a big Jim Walmsley fan and I'm a huge ultra fan. So I watch him ripping it in Western States and people are trying to say he didn't have a good race, man. He crushed it in the trials. He ran to me for a guy who hasn't run in an elite marathon race and is focusing entirely on ultras and crazy elevations and psycho miles. Man, that dude balled out. He showed up and he through he didn't go like in the back and just try to chill it was a rough day for everyone he made zero excuses like and people were trying to say he didn't have a great day i'm like i thought he rocked it i thought he was really i thought he was really impressive and like you said on that day man it was it was just a rough rough day so uh super cool 
Um, what an experience, experience of a lifetime. So the question is now, and, and by the way, you know, you're young, everyone's young to me because I'm 60, but to do what you did and, you know, do it as a master's runner, you know, is even more impressive. But I just think that women and men, and I know you have to know Gene because Gene's, you know, such a legend, you know, in the Philly community um, and Jeannie Rice, what she's doing, like, like that thought that other athletes would have put out there or that story or that narrative, that story's gone. That narrative's gone. Like you can make the trials at 50. You can make it at 60. I mean, literally people are doing mind boggling things. So aspirationally, do you have any goals to, and, and who knows where that standard is going to move to? We both know it's not going to be 245 anymore. Do you have an aspiration of something like that? Or is it just like, this was amazing, beyond amazing. And now maybe more in my future, I'm thinking more trail racing, other things aside from your coaching business and the imprint you want to leave on them. What, what are you thinking about down the road? Well, to be honest with you, I'm not, I'm not exactly sure. Um, <laughs> you know, I kind of want to see where, where my training takes me for, for Boston for the fall. Um, you know, kind of see where I land there because, you know, it's been two years since I've run a marathon and, I don't do very well with the virtual races. I mean, I can push myself, but there's just something different about races that brings out the best in you. You know, I always run faster in races than I do in my own training, even though, again, I, I'm pretty good about pushing myself. Um, but in terms of aspirations and where I want to go next, it's, that's tough. And, and, you know, I, I remember, I kind of love these phases because, I, I'm a thinker, so I really kind of like to let it come to me, right? Nothing's really come to me yet. I've had a little bit of like motivation around trying to go for it in Boston this fall. Um, you know, how my body is feeling and reacting right now is quite slow. So <laughs> I'm not, not sure that that's going to be what, um, what I would hope it to be. So I think I kind of want to see what happens at Boston and, and go from there. Um, also, you know, we talked about that JFK 50 miler, which I'm really curious to see how I can do there because, you know, I've got the strength for the marathon and I've got a gravel trail to train on here. It's nice and flat. So, and it's perfect for summer training um, in the shade, but yeah, I don't know. It, it hasn't totally come to me yet, but um you know, I'm going to, I'm going to let it come. I'm, I'm still training. I'm still putting my head down and training hard, I'm hitting the track, I'm doing races. Um, just did a 5k last night. I will not tell you my time because it's terrible. Um, and I'm a little worried because I got a 5k at Penn field on the track next week. And I certainly hope it's a little better, but you know what it is? It's that threshold the threshold pace is what brings out the best in me. So I can do as much track work, uh, you know, as you want, but really until I start doing that T pace work, um, I don't see the dial move a whole lot. You know, it's that T pace work that really um, moves the dial for me. So, so I'm eager for that reason to get into the marathon training. So I'm still giving myself that fast, short interval track work for another week, but I am excited to get into the threshold pace work and see if, 
if my body responds to it, if things come back or, you know, there have been moments where I questioned if I overdid it trying to qualify for the trials and, you know, am I just uh, a little fatigued and tired from that? Um, so I don't know. Sorry. <laughs> Long-winded answer to not even answer your question, but I'm going to let it come to me. And it's, it's still in motion. I no need to apologize. I think you did a great job. Um, basically, it's it's going to have to speak to you. And when it does, you'll know. You'll hear the voice, whether it's an external voice, internal voice, or maybe someone will suggest it to you. Maybe you'll think about our conversation or someone will comment on this podcast and say, hey, I think your future lies in ultra and maybe you'll actually start to think about it. But one thing I am going to do, so I will certainly cue you into that um, and include you. Um, I've had a, at least three guests on who ran the JFK 50 and Mike is going to come on the race director. So I'm going to organize something down there because these are my friends are local down there. You probably oh. know, you probably know some of them anyway. Um, but I'm going to organize something down there um, because for my own self, I want to go back. I want to run that first section of the run again. I have not signed up for the JFK 50, but they will like, disown me um, and stop helping me get awesome guests on for the podcast. So I, I am going to have to sign up for it as well. Um, but I'm going to plan a day down there with my good running friends who are very experienced and know every inch of the AT. And you kind of have to run, you run out of town. You just run up this super steep hill, you know, coming out of town on the road. You know, the sun is barely even up. It's like you're half awake, but that's better. The last thing you need to be doing is like charging up this stupid, crazy hill to get onto the AT. But I'm saying even to start back, that's what I would like to do. Like start right from the starting line of the town. And, you know, I think it's about a mile or a mile and a half uphill. And then you just cut right onto the AT. And there's huge sections of it that are completely like innocent as can be. Like they're not even an issue. But again, we only have to distract ourselves for one minute. You only have to take your eye off the ball for one second and bang, you know, that's how quickly it can go wrong on the trails. But just to get out with a group of like-minded fun people and everybody have packs and water and then, you know, go grab a meal or dinner. You know, I'm. it's a pretty long drive for me. It's I think it's like three and a half hours or so. I'm going to stay over when I go down and then maybe just probably go run some other section down there the next day before I head back. But if you're interested, I'm going to hook that up and set it up and I'll put it up on Facebook and on my run chats page and everywhere else. So it'll give you some prep because the rest of it, like you said, the crushed gravel section, you're going to just love that. I mean, it's just awesome. I mean, you got the Potomac River on your left and last year was COVID city and they were ultra cautious and there were still people out there cheering for us. So it wasn't like we were running alone. Like you're talking about Atlanta when you got back on those part of the courts. Yeah, it was pretty desolate. There weren't people there. You, you'll get people out there cheering their heads off for you. And, you know, you're not going to be finishing in the dark. You know, you're going to be finishing in the light. So when you run through town, you know, it's cool. It's just like local towns, you know, you're running through and um, it's just a fantastic race. One of my favorites. So I always have to plug it um, big time and huge fan of it. And my friend Kate Powerty won it one year and she's a total beast. And uh, she and she beat, um, what's her name, who's won the Western State, Casey Lightag, who won Western once and has won many other ultras. So, you know, it's not like she went down there and took on a shaky field. And that was the year that had snow all over the AT. So it was like a slop fest. Um, you know, like for me, I don't know if I could have made it, I don't know if I could have made it through that, you know, well, actually maybe that would have been better. Cause like in the snow, I would have just like forced myself to just really go slow and just try to maintain like traction and footing. But 
Yeah, super cool. Um, before we roll out, I want to just give you at least one chance to do a little plug on your coaching, your coaching business. And, you know, I'll oh, link, yeah. I'll link that up in the show notes, um, you know, where people can go and access your, you know, your coaching philosophy, how to make an appointment to potentially take, uh, take an athlete on all that kind of stuff. But I'll give you a little chance for a shout out on that. Yeah. So if I can, one second here. Sometimes people might think it's strength in your stride, but it's strength in your stride. I love it. Props off the wall, baby. Here we go. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, but yeah, I've got my own website. You can uh, go to strengthinyourstride.coach, not .com or anything like that. But I think it's appropriate, .coach. Um, and there is all my contact information if anyone wants to, um, you know, talk with me about training or coaching or any kind of tips or questions. There's a button there that says book a consult that literally you can book an appointment with me at a time and day that works for you. And it just pops right on my calendar. So then I just give you a call at that time. Um, but yeah, it's. I do run coaching and personal training. Um, so as I mentioned earlier in our conversation, I'm a VDOT certified running coach, but also level two RRCA running coach. Um, and then I also have my personal training certification through the American Council on Exercise, which I really love that certification because it gives me the opportunity to do very specific performance training with my athletes. Um, when I was running my best, I was doing hit workouts and I was doing very specific strength workouts twice a week. Um, and I really felt a difference in my running as a result of that. So I, I'm a true believer in strength, hence the name strength and your stride. Um, but yeah, between that and the V dot strategies, you know, it's a, it's a winning combination strength and the V dot strategies because V dot really is developed to, um, you know, have you running at different paces that create specific physiological adaptations within your body. So, you know, running at, um, you know, threshold pace, we know that that extends how far we can run at a faster pace. Um, you know, we also through VDOT have what we call interval pace. That's more like your, or close to your 5k race pace, um, maybe a little bit faster. And that's your like VO2, you know, by running at that pace, we help lift our VO2 max. And, you know, in order to get to your VO2 max, you have to be running at it for about two minutes until you even really tap into it. So those intervals are more like three and four minutes long. And then you have um, repetition phase two that helps with your running economy. Um, so how efficient you're um, delivering oxygen to those muscles. So, um, yeah, I love it. I do most of it online. My clients are around the United States. I do personal training virtually as well. So a lot of people think, oh, I have to be local to you to, you know, be able to tap into this. But no, I train a lot of my athletes through personal training sessions online, you know, and I think another thing I'm able to offer the athletes that I coach is I give them 
warm-ups to do. I give you strength workouts to do. And I give you, obviously, you know, your running workout. And it's all delivered through the VDOT app. But I love it. I love what I do. I love my athletes. So, um, you know, there you have it. (laughs) Great stuff. Well, I think that's a perfect place to land it. Um, I really appreciate uh, you sharing your inspiring journey to get to the line to qualify for the Olympic trials to take part in Atlanta and uh, just to share that all of those experiences that led up to that and got you there and, you know, where you're going from there. And then also your coaching platform and what you can hope to help athletes achieve on the other side of it. Um, so I think it's super inspiring stuff and I think people will really enjoy this episode. So I appreciate your time and getting to know you better today. So thanks so much for coming on. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. I have to be honest. I've always kind of wanted to um, be able to share my story because um, it was such a pivotal moment in my life or not moment, but journey. And I've learned so much about myself throughout that journey. And, you know, every training cycle is different and that's what I love about training is they're all different. We learn something different every cycle. Um, so I just appreciate you being able to, you know, bring me on and let me share that. Well, it's my pleasure. And it'll not only exist on all the podcast platforms of the world, Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, and every other one that's out there. But, you know, since we had a good experience after our initial hiccups, it'll it'll make its way up to YouTube as well. So anybody you want to share it with, friends, family, clients, anywhere, <laughs> you know, when I, I do a public Facebook post, so you can share that to any private groups you have or any other groups. And the same thing with Instagram, you know, you can take it from there and share it, Instagram stories and anywhere else, because what's the point, man? It's, it's a great story and it will inspire other runners and other athletes um, that maybe not even want to compete in running. Maybe they want to find their journey somewhere else. So that's what this show is all about. And we close off every episode the same. We tell everybody to keep lacing them up, keep getting out the door and always remember to stay in the fight. Peace out, my friends. Wow. So much inspo in this one. This convo really got my juices flowing. So inspiring to have the privilege to sit down with a great master's athlete like Karen, who's truly hitting her stride, pun intended again, at age 43, continuing to just smash amazingly fast times and improve at an age where most people are starting to plateau and maybe even decline. So it's super impressive what she's doing, uh, working on visualization, mindset, strength training, and really using all the principles of the Jack Daniels VDOT method, which she has certified herself in um, as a coach. So no, no doubt if you are a runner looking to move your own performance levels, And maybe even if you're a master's runner at that, I know I would be taking a look over at her website at strengthenyourstride.coach and scheduling a consultation and see about potentially working together with Karen because uh, the work ethic and her enthusiasm and passion for the sport are all there. And she is truly uh, all in, in terms of what it takes to get there as an athlete and also helping her athletes as well um, as a coach. So super exciting stuff. 
I hope you all uh, will get so much out of this episode and you will enjoy it and you will continue to share as you do with every episode. It continues to help us find new listeners for the Run Chats pod. It brings people on board. It helps us get awesome guests like Karen and it grows our community. So let's keep that momentum up. We've got some really awesome swag coming down the pike here, and I'm going to be doing lots of giveaways in the near-term future, not only for guests that are on the show, but obviously for people who are part of the Run Chats family who listen and comment and are such a big part of spreading the word on the show. So thank you all for continuing that great momentum and being part of what we're doing here. So as we say at the end of every episode, keep lacing them up, my friends. Keep getting out the door and always remember to stay in the fight. Peace out, my friends. Peace out.